Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. If you are jumping in for uh, Ruth chapter three for the first time and you're not quite sure what happened in one and two, I'm gonna do a quick recap. Um, this is all about a story um, from a family from Bethlehem uh, in the Old Testament. It, it is a true story. This is not an allegory. Um, this is a true story. And um, there was a famine in Bethlehem where they were from. So a guy named Elimelech, and he packed up his wife Naomi and their two sons, and they went to the, the pagan Gentile land of Moab, which God forbid them to do. Um, but uh, they were over here in this pagan land, and while they were there, the two sons married two women, uh, Orpah and then a young woman and we're focusing on named Ruth. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, believe it or not, when you think the grass is greener on the other side, the grass turns brown and uh, Elimelech and the two boys die. So now we have three widows, this older widow, Naomi, and her two daughters-in-law. She hears, Naomi hears things are getting better in Bethlehem. So she's like, all right, girls, let's go back to Bethlehem. You know, wait, 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 wait. I'm a Jew, they're Jews, you're pagans, you girls stay here. And Orpah was like, see ya, and took off back for her little pagan land. But Ruth, and her name means faithful, faithful friend, she said, no, listen, your people, they're gonna be my people. Your God, that's gonna be my God. I'm sticking with you. And, and she supported Naomi and she helped Naomi and they, they moved back to their, their land in Bethlehem and they were basically on, on welfare. They had to live off of, of, of assistance. So um, uh, Ruth went out into the fields and just picked a random field and started gleaning, which was, um, they would basically take the leftovers of the grain. And uh, it just happened to be a guy named Boaz's field. Boaz means strength and um, um, it was a coincidence that she ended up in Boaz's field, but in the ancient Jewish world, if there was a widow, uh, one of the extended family, like a cousin, a second cousin, would have to marry that woman so that the family name would continue. People would drop dead for any reason just all the time back then. So it was important that the family name continue so she's working for this guy as a servant. Remember, she's a pagan. She's a Moabite. She, she shouldn't be there. And, and she is interacting with this guy named Boaz, who is uh, the landowner, and it has the potential to be a redeemer for her. So I want you to look for Jesus, because Jesus is going to be creeping in on this story, Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, Mother-in-law, uh, Naomi, has a plan. She says, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. But remember, if Ruth is taken care of, Naomi is taken care of. So we will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he has been very kind to you by letting you gather grain with the young women. Tonight, he's going to be winnowing the barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, because girl, you stank from all that work. Put on your, your, your Sabbath Sunday best clothes, go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he is finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go, and all the kids are gone, right? Then go uncover his feet, bound chicka bow wow, and lie down there. Boaz will tell you what to do. R Ruth is like, you crazy old lady. No, she says, I will do everything you tell me to do. Okay, good. <laughs> Verse six, she got cleaned up. She went down to the threshing floor that night. She followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Now, remember how in uh, chapter two, how Ruth got Boaz's attention? 
She was in her sweatpants. She didn't know she was going to be meeting her Redeemer. Uh, she hadn't put any makeup on. She had the pit stain concert t-shirt she picked up in high school. Uh, she wasn't wearing her glasses. She had puffy contact eyes and no makeup. And, and Boaz was like, mm, 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 who is that girl? See, she's this poor, pagan, unwanted girl, but there was something in her that Boaz was like, I see that girl. And I bet Ruth didn't feel very worthy. And oftentimes we come to church and we don't feel very worthy of God noticing us. But just the fact that we're in the building and we're, we'll stand and we'll sing the song and we don't feel worthy, Jesus looks at you and he's like, mm, mm, mm. who is that person at Uncommon Church? They look good. See, we think that our past will disqualify us from a future in the kingdom. But I, rem I remind you that Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stutter. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Timothy was too young. David had an affair. David was a murderer. Naomi was a widow. Jonah ran from God. Job went bankrupt. The disciples fell asleep in a prayer meeting. Peter denied Christ. Martha was a warrior. The Samaritan woman was shacked up with a man again and again and again. Zacchaeus was too small and Paul was too religious. You, just the way you are with whatever's in your past is just fine for the Lord. Yeah. It does not disqualify you. But Naomi said, listen, Ruth, you should get cleaned up before you go see the Redeemer. You, you can't go see the Redeemer and, and be all gross and nasty. So church, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it's different for every one of us, but you have an encounter with the Redeemer, so you should now that you're here get cleaned up. I don't expect it for people on the outside, but once you're here, my challenge to you is listen to the voice of the Holy Ghost and get cleaned up. I know it sounds like a crazy plan, but if you're going to go see the Redeemer, there are some things that we're going to have to change. Ruth is like, listen, I'm just this poor pagan Moabite girl. I converted to Judaism and I'm here to help out and I'm gonna go meet my redeemer. Where did this meeting take place? At the threshing floor. I know this makes no sense to us in 2021, but let me, let me explain the threshing floor. Um, in the ancient world, especially in the Middle East, they would gather the barley, they would gather the wheat, and they would, they would gather it in these you know, bundles, and then they would take them to the threshing floor. The threshing floor was always in a windy place, usually in a valley where two mountains would come together, and um, they would lay out planks of wood. They would build a, a hardwood floor right in the middle of the outdoors, and then they would take the, the, the harvest, so in this case it's barley, they would take the, the, the barley and they'd lay it on that hard wood, and then they would beat it. Um, sometimes, depending on the crop, they would have animals walk over it with uh, large, heavy uh, wooden rollers to crush the grain. But then you got all this mash on the ground. Then the, the harvesters would take a winnowing fork and they would toss it up into the air, which is why it was important that the threshing floor be where it was windy. And then the wind would blow all that chaff, all the husk away. And then the, the kernels of grain would fall back to the ground, sweep it up, put it in bags. Then you had the most valuable, important thing. And that was the harvest and all the trash and husk was, was, was blown away. In the ancient world, there's no air conditioning. In the Middle East, it's hot, it's, it's sticky, it's sweaty, it's, it's, it's chaffy work. So that's why women were not allowed. Men would strip down to their underwear and they'd be in their Joe boxers, you know, crushing the wheat, throwing it up in the air, the wind blowing it away, sweeping it up, bagging up the grain. So that's why there would be, women weren't allowed in that place. 
And I would just take a look at the analogy there. Sometimes we need to go to the threshing floor and allow the Lord to crush our hearts, but then lift them up and let the wind of the Holy Ghost blow away all the pain, all the sin, all the fear, all the junk, and that the, the, the truth of who we are, our hearts, comes, is valuable to the Lord, and that's what gets gathered up. That's what happens at these altars. Sometimes you'll see people come and they'll kneel or they'll bow or, or they'll, they'll get prayer here at these altars, especially at the end when we have the prayer team come. This altar is like a threshing floor and it's in this place that God is, is working on us and he's, he's getting to the root of the issue and he's removing the fear and the sin and the addiction and the pain and the abuse. And I know it's a painful process sometimes. The, the grain was literally beaten. Sometimes animals would walk over it, but then in the end, the Holy Spirit would come and blow away all that chaff. So if you're in a process where you feel like every time you come to the Lord, it's crushing your heart, stay with it because the wind of the Holy Ghost is gonna blow away all that trash. All right, let's get back to our story. Women were not allowed there because the men would do this work in, in their underpants. Um, and it, even for Ruth to have been like, yeah, Naomi, that's a great plan. Like, no, like any sane woman would have been like, hey, that plan sounds amazing, except for the part where I go to the threshing floor at night with all the naked men. So like, that's just not what, what and in 2021, women would be like, please. No, in the ancient world, <laughs> women had some integrity and would be like, no. But little pagan Ruth was like, okay, I'm gonna go along with the plan. Now, sometimes when we imagine darkness, we always imagine there's still a street light. You can always pull out your phone and turn on a flashlight. Picture darkness in the ancient world. There, there was literally no source of light and everything at the threshing floor was flammable. So they might have had one or two little well-protected lanterns, but generally speaking, there was no source of light either. Everything was dark. So that's why Naomi told her to go early, watch from a distance, see where... Boaz lays down because there wasn't going to be any light when she sneaks up in in verse seven. Here we go. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and he was in good spirits, he laid down at the far end of the pile of grain. He went to sleep. Now, first of all, he was separating himself from his staff. And then he was also, if they were at one end of the crop, he was going to be at the other end of the pile to protect the grain from thieves that might come in the middle of the night. Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and laid down. Now, I also did a little bit of research this week the Bible's not totally clear why she did this. Like you would think, well, in the ancient Jewish world, it was commonplace for women to uncover men's feet. No, not that I could find. Not anywhere that I could find. However, I, did, I, I was reminded of the time that King David told his fighting men after they had been on the run for a long time, he said, listen, y'all go home to your hometowns, go see your wives and wash your feet, if you know what I'm saying. Because that was an ancient um, Hebrew way of saying, um, uh, go wash your feet, if you know what I'm saying. Um, that's the closest thing we can do to explain why Naomi said that she should uncover Ruth's, uh, uh, Ruth should uncover Boaz's feet. It's possible the implication was, Ruth, if, if you're really down, you should uncover his feet, wash his feet, if you know what I'm saying. Now, we don't know that for sure, but there is that implication there. Anyway, verse eight. At around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up, he turned over. I, I think it's interesting that it's midnight. It's, it's, it's this darkest part. You have to imagine Ruth was not asleep at his feet. She was laying there in silence and her heart was probably pounding out of her chest. There's a woman at the threshing floor, she shouldn't be there. It's dark, she can't see him, he can't see her. Like, she's just nervous. And I, I wonder what we would do when we are facing the midnight of our life. 
Where should you be when you get a pink slip? Where should you be when you get a bad doctor's note? Where should you be when your spouse wants to leave you? You should be washed and at the feet of Jesus waiting for him to do something in your life. Because too often we face a trial in our life and we run from God. When we face trial in our life, when it's the midnight of our life, we should run to the Lord and lay at Jesus' feet. When it's threat level midnight, run to Jesus, not away from Jesus. Let me reread verse eight. At around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up, turned over. He was surprised to find this woman laying at his feet. Verse nine, who are you? Can not see her. She said, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Now, remember the last time they spoke in chapter two? He said, who are you? She fell at his feet again. And she said, I am your humble servant. Now she's laying at his feet and she's like, um, will you marry me? This is kind of a banana's request. This is extremely bold of this young pagan widow, poor Moabite girl to lay at his feet and be like, yeah, um, I know I was poor and I know I was your servant, but now I'd like to be promoted to wife. <laughs> Sometimes I think God is looking for us to pray bold prayers like that. Sometimes I feel like we don't have bold things, amazing things happen in our lives because we're not willing to pray bold prayers. That we would be willing to go from sinner, orphan, outcast to a child of the Most High God that's willing to pray bold prayers and ask to be royalty in the kingdom of God. God can't answer a prayer that you're not bold enough to pray. Psalm 2.8 says, only ask and I will give you the nations as an inheritance. The entire earth will be your possession. All you need is a big old ask. I got that right, right? Okay. Because some people have a little skinny ask. We need a big old ask. I got the K in there. We all right. A lot of times we'll have prophetic people come to the church and they'll minister to you guys and then they'll, they'll pull me aside in the green room and be like, Pastor Brad, the Lord gave me a word for you. I'm like, yes, I receive. Your servant is listening. And I, like almost every time a prophetic person prays for me, here's what I get. Man, the Lord loves you. He's proud of you. thinks blah, 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 all this good stuff, right? But then the Lord will say this to my heart. Why do you ask so small? Like that's not just one prophetic person. Like four different prophetic people have been like, hey, Pastor Brad, why do you ask so small? We need to ask God big things, bold things. In fact, a lot of how we ask the Lord is how we see ourselves. And did you notice there in the dark, Boaz said, who are you? And her response was, marry me. I want you to close your eyes, play a little exercise. Just close your eyes, picture it's cool, uh, fall, winter evening, there's a, um, a bonfire, a little baby bonfire. And it's just you and Jesus. And he kind of just leans over, nudges you on the shoulder and says, who are you? What's your knee-jerk reaction to Jesus? When it's just you and the Lord and he says, who are you? All right, open your eyes. See, how we see ourselves in the eyes of God determines how big and bold prayers we pray. And so often we disqualify ourselves because we look at our past, but instead God's looking at the potential of our future. So he, we look at ourselves through the eyes of a sinner, the eyes of an orphan, the eyes of an outcast. 
But the Lord says, no, I, I see you as my son, as my daughter. I see you as, as valuable. Sometimes we don't realize that the value that we have is what something was paid for. If you, if you buy a $1,000 iPhone, it's worth $1,000. Well, it's probably not worth $1,000, but that's what we pay. Um, you are as valuable as the price that was paid for you, and the price that was paid for you was the very blood of Jesus. That's how valuable you are. Now, let's go back to our, this very tense moment. Boaz says, who are you? And she says, oh, um, I was your servant, but now I want you to marry me. Verse 10, Boaz responds, well, the Lord bless you, my daughter. You are showing even more family loyalty, me, loyalty now than you did before when you were just taking care of Naomi. For you have not gone after a young man, whether a rich or a poor man. So you know what? Girl, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do whatever is necessary. And everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. See, Boaz could have agreed right then and there and be like, well, you know what? As long as you're here at my feet and our great grandson is gonna tell people to go wash their feet one day and you know what that means. But he was a man of integrity. He said, I I'm gonna take you as my wife, but I've gotta be honest with you and I've gotta be honest with my probably cousin. Verse 12. It is true that I am your family redeemer, but there's actually another man who's more closely related to you than I am. So why don't you stay here the night and in the morning, I'm gonna go talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he's not, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now just lie here until morning. Now right here, you know, Boaz could have taken advantage of her, but he didn't because godly men have integrity. Godly men have self-control. Godly men protect young women. That would have been a good place to say amen. And I'll also say this, Boaz was not looking for a one night stand. He was looking for commitment. He was looking for covenant. Jesus doesn't want a one night stand on a Sunday morning with you. Jesus wants a covenant with you. But I think too many Christians, we treat Jesus like a one night stand. We just show up once or twice a year, whenever we feel like it. And we, we're here to get something good for us. And then we contribute nothing back to the kingdom. We're taking, but not giving. Some of you are like, I like when you preach except when you step on my toes. <laughs> if you would give in the kingdom, it wouldn't step on your toes. Well, I just did a double step. <laughs> Snap. I think our church would be a lot bigger if, if I didn't talk like that. But I think our church would be sorry. Oh, that got a big amen. See, I like you guys. I like the fact that you come early and stay late. I like the fact that you love people well. I like the fact that you're generous financially. I love the fact that you serve on dream teams. I love the fact that you pray for people that you don't even know. I love the fact that the way you, I'm so proud of our church. You give more than you take. And that's what Boaz wanted. He's like, I, I don't want your body. I want your heart. Verse 14, Ruth was laying at Boaz's feet until morning. She got up before it was light enough for anybody to recognize. Boaz said, nobody should really know that a woman was here at the threshing floor, so he's sending her away. Wait, what? He's sending her away? I thought he was gonna take her by the hand and go figure out how to marry her with the other. Like, this is a terrible Hallmark Christmas movie. Like, the, the sensitive lumberjack with the sharp jawline and the surprisingly soft hands Instead of choosing our girl, he's gonna go to the Christmas festival with that trashy hairdresser that wears too much makeup. What about the, the, the new in town divorcee that just opened the bakery and she always smells like pumpkin spice? That's our girl. Why is he sending her away? See, there's this tense moment where 
Ruth wasn't quite sure if he was in or out. I bet this was like a, she put herself out there, but she didn't get her needs met. How many times do we put ourselves out there in prayer? We put ourselves out there in worship. We put ourselves out there at this altar and we ask the Lord and then we feel like nothing happened and we feel like we're walking away empty-handed and dejected. It's like we feel like we're heartbroken because God didn't do the thing we asked for. But look what God will do in your life. Look what, look what Boaz did for Ruth in verse 15. He said, all right, all right, all right, come here. Bring me your cloak, spread it out. And he measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and then he put it on her back and then they returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything that Boaz had done for her and then she said, well, he gave me six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Six scoops, you say? Naomi said, oh, well, just be patient, my girl, until we hear what happens. That man will not rest until he has settled things today. Six scoops, you say? So exciting, right? I know, you guys are like, oh, he did not. He gave her six scoops? Doesn't mean anything in 2021. But in the ancient Jewish world, names and numbers meant something. And numbers all had a meaning. And God completed the creation of the earth in six days. The number six in the ancient Jewish world meant fulfillment, meant completion. So when Boaz is like, listen, you should leave. It's getting light. I don't want anybody to see you. But baby girl, I'm going to give you six scoops. He was saying, girl, I got you and I'm going to take care of this. Chapter four, verse one. Boaz went to the town gate, took his seat there. Just then that other family redeemer that he mentioned came by. So Boaz said, hey, come over here and sit down, my friend. I want to talk to you. And they sat down together. These guys were probably second cousins or something like that. Boaz called 10 other leaders because you always needed 10 other men to witness a land transaction or witness any kind of legal proceeding. And he asked them to sit as witnesses. Boaz said to the family redeemer, listen, you know Naomi, the one who came back from Moab. Well, she's selling that land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, notice he didn't mention Ruth. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then right here in the presence of all these witnesses, you go ahead and buy it. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm actually next in line to redeem it after you. The man said, all right, I'll redeem it. And we're all like, no! What the what? You took us all the way to chapter four and then the other guy redeems it? Every name in this book has meant something. Is it weird that the other redeemer's name is just other redeemer? Just some random guy at the gate who has no name? This no-name guy could be stopping Boaz from marrying Ruth? Too many people in the church have been stopped at the gate because of some no-name guy keeping you from your destiny. And so many people marry the other guy and never get past the Jesus gate. We settle for a lesser redeemer. But then Boaz, remember, he gave her six scoops. He's like, all right, cool, you buy the land. Oh, 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 don't forget. Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. Wah, wah, wah. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep that land in the family. And then verse six, oh, 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 no, no, no then I can't redeem it because that might endanger my own estate. Why don't you redeem the land? 
I cannot do it. He's saying, I don't want that pagan woman and her future pagan babies taking my money. Jesus will take you just the way you are. He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of your past. Jesus doesn't care where you've been. He's gonna take you to a royal palace, put a ring on your finger and a crown on your head. He's gonna give you an inheritance for your kids and your grandkids. So if you read through chapter four, Boaz redeemed uh, Naomi. He bought Elimelech's land. He took off his Jordans and threw them in the pile. You have to read the story to figure out why he did that. He made it legally binding in front of everybody. Verse 13 says that they were married and then God enabled Ruth to become pregnant. They named that little boy Obed. Now remember that name, Obed, because if you flip over to the New Testament and the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter one Right at the beginning, he's given the, the, all the men and women that, that, that um, led you to Jesus. Verse five, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. So you take Ruth, this little Moabite, helpless, poor, destitute, Gentile, widow girl, and she was King David's great grandmother. See, Ruth was clueless how big the destiny on her life was, that it would lead not just through King David, but all the way down to Jesus, that poor little Moabite, Gentile, pagan widow Ruth was Jesus' great, 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 something, grandma. When you get right with God, you have no idea the impact that it's gonna make on your kids and on your grandkids and on your great-grandkids. Living for Jesus is not about just changing your life. Living for Jesus now means that your kids and your grandkids are one day gonna change the world for Jesus. 60, 70 years from now in a college dorm room somewhere, your great-grandchild is gonna lead their roommate to Jesus because of how you're walking in faith today. Your destiny matters. How you live for Jesus now matters when you're in heaven years from now for your great grandkids. Now, let me also just point this out. The first redeemer did not redeem the land and did not redeem Ruth. Boaz did not have to redeem Ruth. He wanted to redeem Ruth. Church, listen to me. Jesus wants to redeem you. Jesus wants to be in that relationship with you. Jesus is pursuing you. He wants to make you royal. He wants you to go from orphan to child of the most high God. He wants you to go from outsider to insider in his very heart and family. It doesn't matter where you started. You're gonna end up in a place of royalty. Yes. You have been brought out of a sinful world to live in a holy world. You have been brought out of a pagan world to live set apart, royal, and a, a royal priesthood. There should be something on the inside of you that cries out to be royal. That, that's, I think that's why we follow the, the royal family in, uh, in, in the UK so closely. It's because there's just something in us that's just so intrigued by one family being set apart as royal. You are a part of a family that is set apart and royal. All you have to do is go to the threshing floor. Hop up on your feet. See, Ruth, when she met Boaz... She fell at his feet. And Ruth, when she wanted to be redeemed, she laid at his feet on that threshing floor, on that place where sometimes our lives feel crushed, but it's so good because then he lifts us up and the Holy Spirit blows away all the trash and the heart of who we really are, what really matters. So turn away from whatever Moab you're coming out of. Turn away from your past Turn away from dead religion. Turn away from pain. 
from being hurt by the church. Turn away and, and you know what? While you're there at the feet of Jesus, ask him for an upgrade. Say, Lord, I'd like an upgrade. I fly a lot and I told you the story a few months ago. As much as I fly, I never get upgraded. I'm like the redheaded stepchild of American Airlines upgrades. <laughs> but I was in uh, Washington, D.C. a couple of months ago and uh, we're just sitting there in, in, the, in the herd, you know, back with the chickens and the goats, you know, just waiting to get on the plane. And then I hear, uh, Mr. Kerrigan, please come to the, uh, the counter. And I'm like, oh man. I'm like, yeah, what's going on? And by the way, I have gold status. Like I, I have some status. I'm not like, I'm not like uh, group nine who's boarding at the end. You know what I'm saying? I'm a group four person, sometimes three. <laughs> and she said, I'm sorry, Mr. Kerrigan, we had to um, reseat a family in your seats. They go, so we've upgraded you to first class. Is that all right? I'm like, that, that'll do. That'll do. Group one. Group one. When they said group one, I was like, that's me. It's nice to get an upgrade, isn't it? I didn't deserve it. I was just sitting there listening to my John Grisham book on my Audible, just waiting for the plane. And I got an upgrade. You deserve an upgrade. You deserve an upgrade from the life that your parents lived and your grandparents lived. And for some of you, that means you deserve an upgrade from poverty. You deserve an upgrade from marital strife. You deserve an upgrade from addiction. You deserve an upgrade from pain. Some of you were raised in amazing godly homes. You look at and my kids or, you know, you've got... Bishop Carrico and their family, and of course their kids work on staff here. What's an upgrade look like for people that were raised in a godly home? Six scoops. Six scoops. <laughs> I haven't had a good Holy Ghost heckler in a while. It's good. It looks like six scoops. It looks like God's gonna bless you. It looks like your ceiling becomes your kid's floor and your grandkids are gonna do amazing things for God because of the prayers that you pray today. How you worship matters. What church you go to matters. Whether you read your Bible or not, it matters. Whether you spend time in prayer, it matters. Whether you lift your heart in worship, it matters. Because limp-wristed, sorry, hypocritical Christianity is not gonna set your kids and grandkids up for an upgrade. So, I, I, yeah, I'm going to step on toes. Yeah, I'm going to keep raising the bar. Not because of religion, not because we have to, but because we want to. But because there's something about that Redeemer that I want to lay at His feet. I want to lay my life down. I want to serve Him. There's a lot we can learn from Ruth. I know I'm a little over time, but I just want to give you one more little nugget about Ruth. Ruth was a Gentile that said to a Jewish woman, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. That's why we support the nation of Israel the way we do. We as Gentiles, we look at the Jewish people and we say, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. That's why we pray those prayers to support our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That's why we pray for Jews to receive Jesus. The apostle Paul said, that we should be the ones that live such an exemplary life 
of serving God and knowing God and honoring God and living for God, that it would actually make Jewish people jealous. So examine your life to the life of an Orthodox Jew that has memorized the Old Testament, goes to church three times a day, lives a very strict disciplined life and fasting and other disciplines. Now I'm not saying you have to do those disciplines, but I am saying, would your faith, would your intimacy with Jesus make an Orthodox Jew jealous? Because our job is to say, and if, by the way, that's all new information to you, please read Romans 9, 10, and 11. That the Jewish people will be our people. We've adopted them as our own. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Ruth. <laughs> it's so funny that if Ruth walked into our church today, I think often we would just overlook her. We'd see her past, we'd see her scars, we'd see her tattoos, we'd see the way she's dressed, we'd see her two or three kids with different dads. We would judge her, assume that her past would disqualify her from an upgrade of royalty in the future. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us if we've ever treated anyone like that. Lord, I pray that no matter what our past looks like, we would have a boldness, we would have a relationship of humility that we lay at your feet and we ask for an upgrade. We ask to become royal. We ask to, to, to become the landowner like Ruth did. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not right with God, today is your day to get right with God. See, Ruth had to make a choice. Her sister-in-law, Orpah, went back to Moab. She had a choice and she split. You have a choice. So I'm asking you and those that are watching online, are you going to leave Moab and bow at the feet of Jesus? Are you going to allow the pain of your past to be left in the past as you pursue a new relationship with your Redeemer? You have to go through the threshing floor. In this moment right here, this is your threshing floor where you lay out your life, you lay out your sin, and you ask him to crush you and then lift you up and remove that sin as far as the east is from the west. He makes you holy. He adopts you into his family, transforms who you are. And you never go back to Moab. You never go back to that sin. You never go back to that who you used to be. Today is your day. So whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, this is your day to make that choice. It might be the first time in your life you ever prayed a prayer like this. It might be the first time in a long time. But you know that it's your day. You know it's your time to get right with God and really mean it and really live for Him. So whether it's your first time or your first time in a long time, if you'd like to pray that prayer and you'd like a little help with it, I want to help you. In fact, it'd be my highest honor and joy to do so. But it's got to be your choice. And I'd like to know who I'm praying for. So if that's you this morning and you're ready to get right with God and pray that prayer, would you just shoot your hand up real high and just say, preacher, pray for me. Today's my day. I'm going to get right with God today. I see your hand right there. Is there anybody else? Just shoot your hand up. I see your hand right there. I see your hand over there. Anybody else? Shoot your hand up real high. Come on, somebody. Good. Good. 
What about you at home? I saw three people shoot their hand up, stare at me right in the face and say, today's my day. I'm gonna be like Ruth and I'm gonna get right with my Redeemer today. I can't see you, but right there in your apartment, right there in your bedroom, right there at your cubicle, just shoot your hand up. Just say, I'm getting right with God today. If you believe it in your heart, why don't we all pray this prayer together? Say, dear Jesus, come on church, pray it out loud. Say, dear Jesus, I repent of my sin. I'm so sorry. Please wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Adopt me into your family. Be the redeemer of my life. I receive the gift of eternal life. Be the Lord of my heart, savior of my soul. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you say amen? Listen, I'm so proud of you three that raised your hand. I'm so proud of you at home that raised your hand. Wow, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.